Amen. Well, if, uh, if you're new to Rocky Point, I hope that what you've seen already today in our worship service is we really take the Word of God seriously. We really love the Bible. Uh, from beginning to end, we want our time of worshiping God to center around God's Word because God has given us uh, this book. He's spoken to us through His Word. He's made Himself known on the pages of this book. And so uh, at this point in our service, uh, as you might imagine, we're going to turn to the Word. We're going to hear from the Word. And in fact, today we're going to hear about the Word from the Word. So if you would turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. So here we are at the beginning of... I hear crickets, and that's, that's a little disconcerting. <laughs> Hope you're all with me. <laughs> um, here we are at the beginning of a new semester. New routines are starting off, getting in a new groove, new schedule. And even though the semester has just begun, I would imagine that many of you probably already feel like your schedule is controlling you more than you're controlling your schedule. Your activities are controlling you more than you are controlling your activities. And at this really crucial time of the beginning of the semester, as these new grooves are getting in place, as these new routines are starting, as as you're forming habits that are going to stay with you for the rest of the semester, for better or worse, I want to urge you to prioritize your time alone with the Lord. I want to urge you to prioritize your time specifically in the word and in prayer. And for the next two weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at those two very important spiritual disciplines. Bible intake, that's what we're going to look at this morning. And then prayer, we'll look at that next week. And even as you hear that, I want to be really, really clear about where my heart is. My burden for us as a church. I don't want you to hear me heaping a burden on you. Like, man, I've already got all this stuff on my plate. My kids are doing 15,000 sports. I've got this many classes. And I've already gotten behind on my assignments and my reading. And I don't even know how I'm going to keep this straight. And now the pastor wants to guilt me about not spending enough time in my Bible. Great. One more thing to add to my to-do list that I'm not going to get done today. Please do not hear me saying, I want to heap burdens on you. Please don't hear me saying that I want to make more spiritual work for you. What I want is to invite you not to more spiritual work, but to more spiritual rest. I I know you're busy. I'm busy. We're all busy. But I don't want you to believe the lie that you are too busy to spend time with Jesus. I don't want you to, to believe the lie that you're too busy to spend time in the word and in prayer. Because let me tell you, you are too busy not to spend time in the word and in prayer. You're going and going and working and working, and you need to rest at the feet of Jesus. And so I want to urge you this week and next week to prioritize these critical spiritual disciplines of Bible intake and prayer. 
So today we're going to look at Bible intake, and to do that, we're turning our attention to Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in all of Scripture, and it's no accident that the longest chapter in all of Scripture is a song about the Word of God. It tells us a couple of things. One, because it's the longest chapter in all of Scripture and it's about the Word, it tells us how high of a priority God's Word ought to be for us. This psalmist devotes 176 verses to singing about the Word. And the other thing that we ought to note about this is it is a song. This isn't just a guy who knows a lot about the Bible. It's not a guy who really understands or even just wants to really obey the Bible. This is a man, as he writes this psalm, who delights in the Word of God. He loves it so much, he cherishes the God who wrote this Bible so much, it makes him want to sing. But this is not just the spontaneous eruption of a guy who got really excited about the Bible. No, this psalm is a carefully composed masterpiece. Like I said, 176 verses. He writes it across 22 different stanzas with eight verses each. And each one of those stanzas begins with one of the letters of the Hebrew Bible. And in each stanza, every line begins with that letter. So the first eight verses all begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The second eight verses all begin with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. All the way through the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. This is a man who loved God's word so much. And delighted in it, in it so much. He, his heart of delight overflowed into devoting himself to carefully crafting an ode to the word of God. And one of the things you'll notice um, in this passage, that we're only going to read one stanza of Psalm 119, but one of the things you'll notice throughout Psalm 119 is that the psalmist uses a bunch of different words, eight or more different words, to describe the word of God. He uses words like word, commandments, statutes, rules, testimonies, precepts. And taken together as he pours out his praise over 176 verses with all these different terms, all these different words describing the word of God. He, lo he loves, he delights in all that God says. Yes, he delights in his commands. Yes, he delights in his will. Yes, he delights in every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And it makes him want to devote himself to the worship of this God. C.S. Lewis wrote about Psalm 119 that it's a pattern. A thing done like embroidery, stitch by stitch through long, quiet hours for love of the subject and for the delight in leisurely disciplined craftsmanship. So we're going to read this morning from Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. This is the second stanza of Psalm 119. We're going to get a window and to the delight that this young man has in the word of God. Read with me, starting in verse 9 of Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? 
by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So the main thing that I want to invite us in today, the title of this sermon even, is Delight in God's Word. Delight in God's Word. As we consider this idea of delighting in God's Word, we're going to see this song sung by three different singers. First, we're going to look at the psalmist's song. Then we're going to look at Jesus' song. And finally, we'll look at our song. So first, let's turn our attention to the psalmist's song. So whenever you come to Scripture and you're reading a portion of Scripture, one of the key things to understanding the meaning of a passage is to understand how the author is structuring what he's writing. So there's certain portions of Scripture that are very logical. Every sentence, every idea connects very purposefully to every other idea. And it's kind of like parts of a machine. Everyone has to fit in just the right way in order for the whole thing to be complete, to, uh, to, to fit together. So a lot of the letters and epistles uh, in the New Testament are structured like that. Then there's other passages of Scripture that are structured chronologically. They're stories. So one sentence is connected to the next by time. This happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. We see that in historical books like First and Second Samuel and others. Uh, but this passage that we find ourselves in today is, is structured more like uh, kind of how the Proverbs are structured. There's not a, a clear connection from one line to the next. The, the way it's structured is it's like, it's like the author is walking around his subject, and he, he gives a little glimpse at one angle of it, and then he comes over here, and he gets another angle at it, and then he gets over here, and he gives another angle at it, and round and round he goes around his subject until by the end of 176 verses, or however many, uh, you feel like you have seen this in 3D. You've seen a full picture, a 360-degree view of the author's subject. So in a, in a logical passage, it's like you're entering into the classroom and, you're under, and you leave understanding the point that the author was trying to make. Uh, in a story, it's, it's like you're entering into a theater and you leave having experienced the story that the author was trying to make. But in a passage like this, it's like you're entering into a museum and you're getting a 3D picture. What unites all of these verses is that each one is an, as a different angle from this three-dimensional perspective that he wants to bring us into on the word of God. So let's briefly, just briefly, look at each one of these eight angles in this section. 
and get a window into the delight that this author has in the word of God. And then we'll step back and look at the 3D picture that these eight angles paint. So look at verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. It's right out of the gate. One of the things we need to see is that this man is connecting the word and life. He wants, so he more than likely is this young man that he's asking about. And he wants his way to be pure. He wants it to be clean, sin-free. Well, how am I going to do this? How can I do this? By guarding it according to the word of God. This is not just some religious activity of a monk in a monastery. No, this is a guy who's in the trenches, who is, re- who is living real life, and he has to guard his way with the word of God. Then look at verse 10. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So in this angle, we see his ultimate goal. His ultimate goal is to seek God. The reason he delights so much in the word of God is because ultimately he delights in the God of the word. He wants to seek God with an undivided heart. And in order to do that, he knows, I I don't want to wander from your commandments because it's walking in your commandments that I seek you. That is the pathway to you. So I want to seek you with my whole heart. And look at verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word just doesn't need to be on his feet. It doesn't need to be just the path that he walks. He he realizes, I I need God's word in my heart, not just in my mind. I don't just need to understand it. I don't, don't just need to speak it or even memorize it. I need to get it down into my heart because out of the heart flows all of life. So he wants to store up God's word in his heart so that out of his heart, the life that he lives would be unstained by sin. And in verse 12, he praises God. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. He recognizes there is no one like this God that I'm seeking. He is totally unique. He's one of a kind. I want to praise him. I want to admire him. I want to delight in him. And it's natural then for him to see this God as worthy of praise and worthy of admiration and then say, teach me. You're one of a kind. You're honorable. You're admirable. I want to be like you. Teach me your ways. I want to walk like you walk. I want to talk like you talk. Teach me your statutes because I want to delight in your word because I delight in you, O Lord. And verse 13. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. He wants his mouth to be filled by the words that come out of God's mouth. He doesn't just want to keep this to himself. He delights in the word so much, he wants it to go down into his heart and then out of his mouth to others. So that they can know how precious the treasure of God speaking is. Then in verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight 
as much as in all riches. He regards the words that come out of the mouth of God as more valuable than all of the wealth in the world. He loves God's word and living out God's word so much that he wouldn't go down another path if it meant all of the wealth of the world. In verse 15, he says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I want to concentrate on what you have said. I want to dwell on it. I want to linger at your words. And not only what you have said, he says, I want to meditate on your precepts, the things you have said to do, but I'm also going to fix my eyes on your ways, what you do. Not only what you say that I should do, but what you yourself do. Because, again, he is seeking the Lord through the words that this Lord has spoken. And lastly, in verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. He rejoices in the words that come from this God, and he doesn't want to lose it. So as we look at each one of these eight angles, there's so much that he sees in each one of these angles. There's so much that we can see about the delight that he has. As we step back and think about the 3D view that comes into play of what we see, this picture that we see in this passage. Here's a man who loves God, who delights in God, who wants to seek after God, who wants to know this God better, who wants to walk like he walks and talk like he talks, and who loves him and admires him so much that he doesn't want to do anything that would not please this God. So he devotes himself to the word. He treasures the words that come out of this God's mouth. He wants to know it. He wants to hear it. He wants to get it inside of him and down into his heart so that it comes out and his feet match what his heart believes. And he wants to tell others about this word because it's so precious to him to hear from God. As we look at this picture that this psalmist paints, we do have to admit that this is, this is a lofty goal. This is a lot. And we can know, we can be confident that this was not how this man was 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is not his reality. No, this man was broken and sinful just like all of us. This was an aspiration. This psalm, as he paints out this picture, he, he's longing. He, he wishes that he was more devoted to the word of God. He wishes that his way was pure. He wishes that his whole heart could be devoted to God. He wants it. He desires it. He's longing for it. But this is not his reality. This is an aspiration. It's a goal. It's something he longs for. But there is... One, for whom this was not an aspiration. There is one for whom this was not just a lofty goal. This was real life. 
There is one who delighted in God's word perfectly. There is one who obeyed God's word perfectly. There is one who was devoted to God's word perfectly. And that is Jesus Christ. And that leads us to Jesus' song. Jesus' song. Jesus perfectly delighted in God's word, and he perfectly obeyed God's word. He is and was everything that this psalmist wishes that he could be. Consider how dedicated Jesus was to the word of God. He guarded his path. He kept his way pure. And he protected himself. He didn't sin against God because of the word stored up in his heart. In Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness by the devil, every time the devil comes at him with a temptation to sin, how does Jesus respond? It is written. It is written. It is written. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That was the reality for Jesus. Not only did he guard his path and did he fight off sin with with the word that was stored up in his heart, he also declared the word out of his mouth, just like we see the psalmist desire to do. In Luke chapter 4, as Jesus is beginning his ministry, uh, Luke records how Jesus enters into the synagogue. He opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads out loud from the scroll of Isaiah, and he says, Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He delighted to share, to declare the word of God from his mouth. He obeyed the word of God perfectly. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, the disciples come to him, And they're concerned about food. It seems like they're always concerned about food. They're not eating enough. We're not eating enough. But Jesus responds in verse 34. He said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He delighted in the word of God and the will of God and obeying it and cherishing it and living it out. And Jesus delighted in the word of God even in his death. While he's on the cross, the gospel writer Mark records in chapter 15, verse 34, Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's got the word of God on his mouth in his most desperate, most painful suffering. And as we read before in Luke chapter 24, in all of Jesus' life, he fulfilled Scripture. We read earlier, and we saw from Luke chapter 24 that Jesus said to his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins 
should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. All of Jesus' life was a fulfillment of Scripture. There's a reason why, just as Scott read at the very beginning of our service today, that Jesus was called the Word made flesh. His life, his existence was the ultimate revelation of God. His life was a fulfillment of Scripture. He was walking Scripture in his ways and in his words and in his deeds and in his heart. He perfectly fulfilled Scripture. He perfectly obeyed Scripture. He perfectly delighted in Scripture. Why is that good news for us? Why is it good that Jesus delighted in the Word of God? Why is it good that Jesus obeyed the Word in a way that we never could? Because we are people who don't have a pure way. We are people who wander from the commandments of God. And Jesus came to cleanse people of the impure way, whose ways were not pure because they had not guarded their ways according to the word. Jesus came to seek out the wanderers and bring them back to the path of life. We are people who sought after lesser treasure. We are people who neglected the word of God. And Jesus came to rescue us out of that. He came to redeem us and bring us to the treasure who is God himself. To bring us to the path of life that he himself walked perfectly. The reason why it's good news that Jesus obeyed the word perfectly and delighted in the word perfectly is that God's acceptance of us is not dependent on our delight in the word. God's acceptance of us is dependent on how much Jesus delighted in the word and how much Jesus obeyed the word. In his death, he died to forgive us from disobeying God's word. In his resurrection, he offers us a chance at new life. He offers us an invitation to the path of life, to follow him in new life. And this leads us to our song. As we come to this passage of scripture, as we've looked at it, as we hopefully desire to have this heart in us, I want you to know this can be your song in Christ. This can be our song in Christ. Because when we, we come to this and we see this aspiration, this delight, this commitment, this perfect obedience, and we see this expressed in the pages of Scripture, it's easy for us to be intimidated to see this and like, oh man, like I, I thought I loved God. I thought I loved God's word, but I guess I don't love enough. Or to be burdened and say, man, like I, I thought I was in my Bible enough. I thought I was doing enough with the Bible, but I guess I'm not doing enough. I guess I need to do more. But in Christ, we don't have to be intimidated by Bible intake. We don't have to be burdened by Bible intake. Because as we long for the word, as we think about taking in the Bible and delighting in the word and obeying the word, we don't do it because God is asking us to measure up. Jesus measured up for us. 
Instead, we don't have to think about Scripture as being intimidating. Because God, in a passage like this, he's not trying to intimidate us into greater dedication to his word. No, he's inviting us to greater delight in his word. We don't have to be burdened by this because the reality is what Jesus has done is we were once slaves to a different pathway. Not the pathway of following God's word, not the pathway of life, not the pathway that sought God. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to another way, to the domain of darkness, to walking according to the course of this world. And we were unable to get on the path of life. We were unable to walk in the ways of God. But Jesus delivered us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And he has freed us now so that the path of this word, the path of delighting in the word and obeying the word, is no longer a path of duty. We have to walk in order to get to God. Jesus has already brought us to God. So now this path of delighting in Scripture and obeying Scripture is a pathway of delight that we get to walk on as those who have been freed from sin, accepted by God because of Jesus' work and His delight and His obedience. We get to delight in the Word. We get to obey the Word, follow the Word by the power of Christ in us. And so... In light of Christ's perfect delight in the word, in light of Christ's perfect obedience to the word, I would implore you, get in the word. Get in the word. It's an invitation to delight. It's an invitation to come and see how good this God is. It's an invitation to see how good his ways are and his works are. It's no longer a burden heaped on us. It's an invitation to know God more and to experience flourishing in life. It's an invitation to know God more because on the pages of Scripture, we see God's character on display. We see His holiness. We see His majesty, His glory, His mercy, His grace, His love. We see his ways as he deals with his creation, as he loves and it remains faithful to his people. We see the ultimate demonstration of who God is as this Bible reveals to us the cross of Jesus Christ. The mercy that was poured out. The love and the justice and the holiness that was put on display in Jesus' death and resurrection. Not only that, but God's word is given to us for our good. God's commands are given to us for our good. This book is filled with instructions, and we need to understand that those instructions were not given by some arbitrary decision. It's not like God is some divine dictator who says, well, you need to do this because I said so. No, God God is the creator. He's the designer of humans. He knows how we ought to live. He is the one who's the authority on what it means to be fully human, on how to live life in a way that is most enjoyable, that's most flourishing, that most honors God. 
And so what we have in Scripture is an invitation into, into flourishing with life, with God, of knowing God, loving God, experiencing God. So let's get real practical now. We want to get in the Word. We want to delight in the Word. We want to experience more of this. We had a, uh, Alyssa and I had a pastor. One of my favorite things that he used to say is, if you want to get hit by a train, you've got to stand on the tracks. So let's ask ourselves, if we want to get hit by the train of delight in God's Word, what are the tracks we have to stand on? Well, if we want to get hit by the train of delight in God's word, if we want to experience more of this God through his word, if we want to devote ourselves more to this word and find rest in these words, uh, here's the tracks that we need to stand on. We need to learn, apply, and share this word. We need to learn, apply, and share this word. So first, learning How do we learn God's word? Well, I hope an obvious first step is to read it. To make time to read God's word. Make time every day in your schedule and your routine to read God's word. And now, I, I don't say that, again, as a burden. This isn't about you, you're a bad Christian because you missed a day of your Bible reading. No, you're going to miss a day. It's okay. That's not the point. No one is checking your reading log. No one is checking how many unchecked boxes you have in your little list of Bible reading. No, the point is make time. Prioritize. Use your schedule as a tool to make sure that you get to delight in God's word every day. Read the Bible. But not only reading. Second. Meditate on God's word. In verse uh, 15, the psalmist says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I can't tell you how many times I've set aside time for the word and I've read the word and maybe I read, you know, three or four chapters of the Bible. And then an hour later, if you'd ask me, hey, what did you read in your Bible today? I don't know. (laughs) Because I was reading it to check off the box. And you know, it feels really good to check off a little box. I feel like, oh yeah, I did my good little spiritual duty. But I wasn't delighting in God's word. I was just reading it to do it. What the psalmist understands and what I hope that we can grow in our understanding of is that for this word to get down into our hearts, to change us from the inside out, for us to delight in God, it takes time for us to meditate on God's word to dwell, to linger with God's word, to give our attention and our focus into the truth that's in it. For way more practical instruction on this than I have time to talk about this morning, uh, I would encourage you to go to our website. If you weren't a part of our, um, our spiritual disciplines conference that we had with Don Whitney last year, uh, I would encourage you to go, to go to the website, rpbchurch.org, uh, slash media. We have all of the audio recordings. Uh, we had Don Whitney. He's an author of a book on uh, on uh, meditating on Scripture, and he he gave us amazing teaching on how to meditate on God's Word and to get the most out of it. So I would encourage you to go uh, go listen to that because it will be well worth your time, um, and it'll reap many uh, rewards for you. Read, 
meditate and, and memorize. Memorize God's word. Uh, in verse 11, the psalmist says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If the word is going to change our heart, we've got to get it in our hearts. It's got to be there. We've got to store it there. And my main encouragement to you uh, when it comes to memorizing scripture is get creative. Figure out what works for you. Uh, there's not a rule. There's not a one way that, um, that gets it done. Uh, you have to figure out what works best for you. A lot of people think, oh, I, I can't memorize scripture. I, I tried. I just, I'm not able to. But I promise you can remember something. More than likely, you can remember something. And so you've got to figure out, okay, how can I remember that? <laughs> if I can remember something, I can remember something else. And so for me, uh, the method that works really well is I set scripture to music. I make a little melody, and I tell you what, I can't forget the, the passages that I have set to a melody. That works for me. It may not work for you. Uh, there's a great app uh, that we're using in cross trainers on Wednesday night with our kids uh, called, I think, the Bible Memory app. Um, and it's a really, really helpful tool. If, if you're into iPhone apps, that might be the way for you to go. Maybe it's putting a sticky note on your mirror. Maybe it's putting a 3 by 5 card on your dashboard. Uh, don't read and drive. Um, but uh, it, it might, be the, might be the way for you. But get creative. Because the point is not the method. The point is not the tool. The point is get the word in you. Get the word in you. Okay, so that's learn. Read the word. Meditate. Memorize. Then let's talk about applying the word. Applying. Uh, first way, most obvious way to apply the word is to obey what God commands in his word. In verse 10, the psalmist says, uh, let me not wander from your commandments. He, he wants to hear what God says to do and do it. And so certainly this is part of applying. It's, it's knowing the word enough to where we can say, oh, yeah, this is what God says to do, so I'm going to do it. But we do have to be careful not to stop there and think the only way that we apply Scripture is by obeying commands. Because we don't want to treat the Bible as if it's an instruction manual. We don't want to treat the Bible and just come to it and say, okay, what do I need to do? All right, I'm going to go do that. No, no, no. This, this is a, a book that's, that's more than just an instruction manual. There's a reason that the majority of this book is a story. It's because this is not just... Uh, God's to-do list for us. No, this is a story of how God has redeemed. It's a story about how God has been with his people. It's a story of what, who God is and what God has done and, and how he designed the world and what he's doing in the world. And so there's, there's far more in Scripture than just commands. Uh, to truly apply Scripture, we don't just need to obey, but we need to let our hearts be shaped by the wisdom of the word. We need to let our hearts be shaped by the wisdom of the word. In verse 15, the psalmist says, I will meditate on your precepts, what you say to do, and fix my eyes on your ways, what you do. He wants to look and see what has God done. What has God done with his people? What has God done in his redemption? We want to look at who God is, what he has done, and let his word, as he reveals himself in his word, shape us. Let the priorities of scripture shape our priorities. Let the values of scripture shape our values. And most of all, at the center of this word is a story of redemption that culminates in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we want to let the gospel shape 
our hearts and shape our lives. We want to look at how God accepts us in Christ. And that changes our lives as we realize, I don't have to go searching for acceptance anywhere else. We want to let our hearts be shaped by the riches of God's grace that he expresses through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So that our hearts are no longer searching after lesser treasures and lesser riches because our hearts have been so overwhelmed by the riches of God's grace in Christ that we have seen as revealed through the word of God. So yes, we want to apply the word by obeying it, but we also want to apply it by letting our hearts be shaped by it. And then lastly, learn, apply, and share the word. Look again at verse 13. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. The psalmist doesn't want to keep it to himself. He delights in God's word, and he wants to share it with others. So for us, share the word with those who don't know Jesus. Share the word, the truth of Scripture, the truth of the gospel on the pages of this book. Share it with those who don't know Jesus. You know, we talk about what we love. And so the more that we delight in God's word and we experience the joy of knowing God through this book and we experience joy in what he has said and what he has done, the more that we're going to want to talk about it. The more that we're going to let others, we want others to come and see like, hey, have you seen this treasure? Do you know how good this is? These words are sweeter than honey. These words are more valuable than the greatest wealth in the world. You've got to know about it. We should also share the word with those who do know Jesus. Part of what it means to be the church together is to share God's word with one another. We're not full disciples of Jesus. We're not fully functioning disciples of Jesus, that is, if we're not sharing the word with one another. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, with thankfulness in your hearts, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, Jesus has designed the church. He's designed us to share the word of God with one another, to help one another follow Jesus by teaching the word to one another. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and verse 20, Jesus says that a necessary part of making disciples which I hope we all want to be a part of, is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, Jesus says. So as we increase in our own delight of God's word, as we spend time with the Lord through his word and delight in what he has said and what he has done, and the grace of God that's on these pages, may we also share this word with one another. And help one another grow in following Jesus and delighting in Jesus together. So as we get busy this semester, and we are getting busy, we're getting busy with a lot of good things. And my prayer for us, as we think about spending time with the Word, spending time with God in the Word, is that we wouldn't let all of the good things in our life crowd out the best things. 
that we wouldn't let all of these great things that we do crowd out the very best things that we can be doing with our time, with our attention, because when we begin our day with Jesus, when we spend dedicated time in the Word and let God's Word into our heart and delight in it and meditate on it and fix our eyes and seek this God with our whole heart, it changes and affects every other part of our life. It changes every other part of our schedule. It changes every other part of what we do and how we live and how we interact with others. So, I would invite you to delight in God's word. Let's pray together. Father, there is a treasure awaiting us in your word. There are riches as we look at who you are, as you reveal yourself on these pages, as we see what you have done, most of all, and what you have done in Christ through his death and resurrection and all of the implications of that. Lord, as you invite us to come and read your word, and spend time in your word, and delight in your word, you are inviting us into rest. You're inviting us into joy. You're inviting us into flourishing. And so, Lord, I pray that we would hear this word, that we would see the example of Jesus, that we would find rest in his perfect obedience, and, Lord, that we would be drawn more and more to delight in your word. And through delighting in your word, May we delight even more in you and who you are. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.